Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Hey, Mountain Park, it is Andrew. Great to be with you again, uh, wherever you're watching or listening to this. Uh, so honored to spend this time with you. If you're just catching up with us uh, for the first time, uh, we are in the middle of a series in the book of Ephesians. If you want, you can go back and listen to all the other messages on the podcast. If you're tracking along with us or paying any attention, this is part number 23 in our series. I'm gonna just uh, dive right in this morning and get into the meat and potatoes of it. All right, so Ephesians, we're gonna pick it up in Ephesians 3, uh, right at the end of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. And that's gonna set us up for what we're talking about today in Ephesians 4, verse 1, 2, and 3. All right, so Ephesians 3, verse uh, 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Paul goes on to say, Ephesians 4 verse one, therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Hey, let's just take a moment just to pray together before we dive into God's word this morning. Father, we love you and our desire is to know you. Our desire is to walk faithfully before you. Uh, Jesus, we love you. We submit to you. You are the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Holy Spirit, we love you. You are our counselor. You're our teacher and our instructor. You have been sent in part to reveal truth to us and to remind us of everything that Jesus said and taught us. And so we just ask that you would just give us instruction from your word today. We humble ourselves before you. And Father, in Jesus' name, we just renounce anything we've relied on or believed in, anything we've seen or done or said that is opposed to you and your truth, anything that is grieved you or quenched you, Holy Spirit. We just repent of, and we ask that you would renew us today like Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that you would fill us with all the fullness of Christ today. We just um, ask that you would just uh, take our, our whole mind, our intellect and our understanding and uh, just unlock sort of the meaning of this scripture for us today in its context, but also in our world, our application for today. And so we ask for your leadership today, Jesus, amen. All right, I picked it up in uh, the end of chapter three in Paul's prayer because there's a really important contrast that Paul is about to make. And if you haven't been tracking with us so far, this is something that Paul does all the time. And what Paul does is he compares and contrasts everything in his life his experiences to Christ. Jesus is the absolute foundation and the center. Jesus is the thing to which Paul compares everything. And so as he comes out of this prayer at the end of Ephesians 3, 
He's talking about the power and the majesty of God. He's talking about the vastness of God, the, the, the glory of God, the, that God can do more than we could hope or imagine. He's contrasting the bigness of God. And then he starts in chapter four and he says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, boom, immediate contrast. He's, he's reflecting on the greatness of God. And then he's acknowledging his own need for God. He's acknowledging sort of his position and his dependence on God. And this is always what Paul is doing. And, and what Paul is coming back to here is our identity in Christ, that everything in our life should be and needs to be compared to who we are in Christ, that there's no circumstance we face, there's nothing going on or around us that actually undermines who we are in Christ. And so Paul is coming back to identity. He spent the first three chapters of this whole book digging into identity. And I'm just gonna walk us through a little reminder. I need this all the time. I, I go back into these first chapters and reread them over and over because I need to be reminded about this. The foundation of Paul's life and I think if you were here today, he'd say the foundation for your life and my life must be our identity in Christ. It, it's that foundation that is the cornerstone of everything. Paul knew how to discern between the false foundations of the, the, this world and its cultures of our own flesh and of the kingdom of darkness. He knew how to discern between those false foundations and a foundation that was rooted in Christ. And Paul, in the first three chapters alone, talks about or uses the phrase in Christ or with Christ 23 times. Up to this point, already in the book of Ephesians, 23 times, Paul has made reference to being in Christ or in him. I just wanna read a couple to you. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. He chose us in him, Ephesians 1.3. He predestined us to be adopted in him, Ephesians 1.5. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, Ephesians 1.7. In him, we have grace richly poured out on us, Ephesians 1 verse 8. We have received an inheritance, in him, Ephesians 1.11, we have been sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. Everything Paul is doing is contrasting with in him, in him, in him. The question for you and I today is what is the foundation of our life? Is the foundation of our life in him or is the foundation of our life our own merit, our own strength, our own striving, our own working, our, our own will, our own desires? What is the foundation of your life? And again, Paul is reminding the Ephesians that what circumstances they see all around him, Paul is in chains. But he says that it doesn't even matter. His outward circumstances are irrelevant because of who he is in Christ. And this is the place from which Paul lives. And what's amazing about this and, and so incredible about this is that 
all of the work, all of the responsibility, all of the ownership lies on God's side. This is the the good news of the gospel, that God loved us so much that he sent his only son, that God chose us, that God predestined us, that God has adopted us, that, that God has hidden us in him, that God has gifted us, God has called us. Do you notice that it's all God, 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 God? Everything is on his side of the equation. And this is the the power of the good news is that you and I, we don't have to work for salvation. We don't have to earn God's love or his approval. We don't have to fight for it or strive for it. We don't have to look inside of ourselves. We don't have to develop, you know, um, strength in our inner being in that way. It's not about self, it's about him. And this is what Paul is saying as he begins Chapter four in the book of Ephesians, God doesn't love you or me because of what we've done or what we are. He loves us because of who he is and what he's already done. The foundation of your life, what is it? Is it in Christ because of what he's done and who he is or is it in something else? Is it in you or it is, is it in your material possessions, in your house or your car? Is it in relationships? Some of you put your identity in the love of another person. You go from relationship to relationship. Some of you who are teenagers today watching this, you're, you're looking for love and affirmation and affection and validation from someone else, but that will always fall short. And God says that he loves you that he loved you before you were even born, that he formed you for a purpose and a calling, that everything you need is in him. So what are you living off of today? What foundation are you walking on? The amazing news of the gospel is that God didn't demand from us or require from us what was necessary to solve the issue of our sin. You know, Paul was writing this to um, a group of Ephesians, people in the, in the city of Ephesus, and in their culture and in their time, they, they would have grown up in a culture that had many, many gods, and all of these gods were feared by them because all of these gods demanded a price for their loyalty. All of these gods required of them some kind of sacrifice or price to appease them. These people that Paul was writing to in this first century lived in fear of the gods because of what the gods would demand of them. Their whole life was oriented around trying to kind of create good karma, trying to appease the gods. And the amazing thing of the gospel is that God hasn't required that of you or I, that it was God himself who sacrificed his son. It was God who stepped up to the plate, God who took initiative, God who acted first, God who sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin. It was God, and this is what Paul is saying, that I'm in prison, but it is irrelevant because my foundation, my identity, is rooted in what God has done for me. So for Paul, everything, everything in our life must be contrasted and viewed in relationship 
to Jesus. Jesus is the standard by which everything in Paul's life is judged and evaluated. And he's calling you and I to that same metric, to that same life, that everything we do, everything we think, everything we believe, everything we say, how we live is judged by the standard and and example of the life of Jesus, not by our own righteousness, not by our own convictions, not by our own sense of justice or things like that, but it's everything is in relation and contrast to Jesus Christ. Paul, before he met Jesus, was ruled by a religious spirit. It was religion that was out front and center for Paul. He was Uh, hell-bent on getting ahead and making a name for himself, asserting his power, asserting his will, bringing his version of justice and retribution to the earth. And the question is, you know, what defines your life? What actually defines how you live and which direction you're going? I think Paul is asking that our first call If we look at Paul and his life, if we look at Jesus and the Gospels, our first call is to love God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also said in John 15, 9 and 10, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain. In some of your translations, it says abide there. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. That word in the Greek for abide or remain literally means to stay or to be lodged with. It's actually used as an expression for dwelling inside of a place for kind of hunkering down and, and sitting inside in, in staying inside a fixed place, sharing a quarters with someone, sharing someone else's home and space. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. First and foremost, our first priority in life is to love God. And this is what Paul is modeling for us. My life, Paul is saying, is irrelevant. The things happening around me are irrelevant because I have my first priority set. And that first priority is to walk in intimacy and love with God. It's the first of uh, priority, not of importance, but of priority. Paul goes on there to say, I urge you, and, and literally what he's saying, the force of that in the Greek is, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you, to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Woost says this in his commentary on the Greek New Testament. He said, in brief, God says in chapters one to three, I have made you a saint. I've done the work. Through Christ, you've been adopted, accepted, called, commissioned, all of that stuff. I have made you a saint in chapters one to three. In chapters four to six, he says, now live a saintly life. And this is what we're about to get in with Paul as he's teaching us. In chapters one to three, Paul goes over again and again and again um, that we have 
been given new life in Christ, that we are seated with him in heavenly places. We have been made a saint, and now Paul is about to say, now live like one. Now your conduct has got to equal what you say and your conviction. That word walk, is a, it actually has a deep, um, a deep meaning in the Hebrew culture and context that Paul would have come from. It literally means to behave or to live, to order your conduct around. So when Paul is saying, I urge you to walk worthy, he's saying, look, everything in your life, your, your conduct, your behavior, how you speak, what you watch, what you think, how you live must be worthy of this high calling. Jesus didn't die on the cross, sacrifice himself, shed his blood so that you and I can just go on living however we want, so that we can pray a prayer and think, oh, it's all good, it's all done. God calls us to live in faith, to walk worthy of the calling we have. You are a saint, so now live like one. That is the mandate of Scripture to us. How you conduct yourself and how you exemplify the work of God in your life is of vital importance. That word worthy literally means having the weight of. So to walk worthy of the calling of God is literally to carry the weight of responsibility to steward the life of Christ in you. There's a weightiness to that. There's a a weightiness to our responsibility to walk worthy of the calling of God on our life. So the question is, does your conduct and my conduct match our calling? Does how we live match the grace that we've been given, match the freedom we've been given, match the the power and authority in the name of Jesus that we've been given? Does our conduct match our calling? Not your vocational calling, not what you do for work or ministry or anything like that, but actually what God has purposed for you in your life. Does your life match with what you believe? Or is there a major disconnect? We are saved, Paul says, by grace through faith. But then in Ephesians 2, Paul says, you're saved by grace through faith. And then in the very next sentence, he says, you are the workmanship of Christ created for good works. So the question is, is it faith or works? And the answer is yes. It's both and. Actually, in the book of James, it says, uh, you know, without works, your faith is dead. The question is then, what kind of faith is the faith that saves? I want to read to you some scripture directly from the Bible that asks and addresses this question. There is a saving faith that the word of God calls us to that is deeply tied to and related to how we live in our conduct. This is not an intellectual thing. This is not just what we say with our mouth, but it must be matched by how we live. There's a saving faith the Bible talks about. I want to read some scripture to you. This is Jesus who says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, 13. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me truly, it won't just be lip service. 
It won't just be serving in the church once a week on Sunday. It won't just be doing the right things externally. If you love me from the depths of your heart, you will desire to be faithful to me. Everything you think, everything you see, everything you do, everything you say will be oriented around your desire to be faithful and love to me. Jesus goes on to say, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. We can't separate faith from conduct. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him and reveal myself to him. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. Those are John 14. Read John 14 and John 15 and John 16, and you will see Jesus talk about the the convergence of what we believe and how we're called to live. In John 15, 9, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Okay, so again, we gotta come back to Jesus saying the number one command is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything. That's not just a position statement. That needs to be a lived reality. Jesus is saying, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Remain in my love. That's that word for abide. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in him. Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, calling to the crowd with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, so here's here's the cost of discipleship. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You know, that should stir deep conviction in our hearts because if I just look at my own life, I don't know that that's the example that I've lived by. So much of my life, I've wrestled with wanting what I want and how I want it and in the timing that I wanted. I've wrestled with accumulating things and wealth and stuff that's temporary. I've I've wrestled with with actually, you know, acknowledging to God, I want to do what you want me to do. Most of my life's decisions have revolved around me. They haven't been this kind of faith that Jesus is talking about, where you deny yourself, where you literally say, God, I will go without that because I love you more than this thing that is right in front of me, this opportunity, this decision, this direction, this Whatever it is, fill in the blank. The question is, do you have the kind of faith the Bible's talking about, the faith that denies yourself, takes up your cross, and follows in the direction of Jesus no matter where it's going? That's why Paul can say, I'm a prisoner in the Lord. I'm in chains here, but I'm walking in faith, following the leadership of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the, I want you to get this, only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. You know, in the book of Revelation, uh, several times it says, he who is faithful to the end. The question is not how we start. The question is how we finish. What kind of faith do you have? 
Do you have the kind of faith that is enduring, the kind of faith that endures to the end, the kind of faith that is strengthened under pressure, the kind of faith that lives for the purposes of God and not your own? Do you have that kind of faith or do you have a different kind of faith that's put in all kinds of different things? Do you have the kind of faith that prayed a prayer once, but now your your life resembles nothing of what the Bible actually talks about? This is Paul urging the Ephesian believers, urging his friends and saying, look, I've I've told you what it means to be a saint. Now you must live like it. There's two sides to this coin. And then he goes on to characterize some things that will exemplify that. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The Bible says that we'll be known by our fruit. So would you characterize yourself with those things that Paul lays out there? Paul lays out humility, gentleness, patience, unity, love, and peace. Are those markers of your life? In this season where we're pressured by everything going on in our world, there's chaos and there's violence and protesting and disease and COVID and government overreach and all of this kind of stuff. Is your life characterized by words like humility, gentleness, patience, unity, and peace and love? Would your family say that those are flowing out of you and how you respond to them? How you respond to confrontation? Would those people that sit on opposite sides of a perspective of yours characterize you with these attributes in your character? Paul is saying, if you live a life worthy of the calling of God, these will be the fruit of your life. So often in my life and maybe in yours too, I would be more characterized by anger, frustration, unforgiveness, bitterness, insecurity, rejection, division, all of that. And Paul is saying we have to actually walk a different way. My question to you and to me today is what kind of faith do you have? You have the kind of saving faith the Bible talks about that denies yourself, that walks in humility, gentleness, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, that endures to the end, that lays its life down for the desire of God? Or do you have the kind of faith that pays lip service to Jesus but then lives for yourself, gratifies your own desire and flesh? I think that's an important question Paul is asking at the outset of chapter four as we turn to conduct and ethic. Paul is saying, look, faith isn't just about what you believe or what you say, it's how you live. And the question is, are you living in a way that matches with what you're saying? The good news of the gospel again is that we're saved by grace. God has done the work he needs. He's paid the price through his son, Jesus. We can't earn our salvation, but we're called to follow Jesus in faith, to live a life worthy of his standard and his life. 
Let's pray. Father, we just confess that we don't even know how to do that most days. But Father, our desire is to follow you in faithfulness, to have the kind of faith that endures, to have the kind of faith that confronts sin in our life, to have the kind of faith that challenges our emotional responses to people we struggle with, to have the kind of faith that produces humility and perseverance and patience and kindness and love and gentleness, and to have the kind of faith, Father, that denies what we want and asks you, Jesus, what you want for our lives. Father, I pray that you would just challenge us and convict us today of those areas of our life that, that aren't under your authority or under your influence fully. I just ask that you would confront us, Holy Spirit, and that you would bring the conviction we need to begin to live with the kind of conviction that we need a life worthy of your calling, a life that models the fruit of your spirit and endures to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.